Hey, this is Double J, Jeff Jarrett, WWE Hall of Famer, and you're listening to the My One Two Three Cents Podcast. It's my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me the hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! Hey, friends. Welcome to episode 411 of the My One Two Three Cents podcast. Uh, I am your host, Kevin Huntsberger, and joining me in just a few minutes will be Greg Mahochko and Chad Smart, both of Jittery Monkey Podcasting fame. We're going to be talking about the 25-year anniversary of the debut of Kane, which happened at Bad Blood 1997. It was an in-your-house show. Uh, and it was in St. Louis, Missouri, and Chad, Greg, and I, of course, none of us knew each other at the time, but all were at that event, so we're going to recount our memories of Kane's debut, the very first Hell in a Cell, and unfortunately, the death of Brian Pillman. All these things went down 25 years ago this week, so we'll have a, a fun conversation about that and uh, do a little uh, walking down memory lane, so be sure to stay tuned for all of that. Of course, as I mentioned, this is episode 411, which means we are nine weeks away now from episode 420. I am still trying my damnedest to get Rob Van Dam to be a guest on the podcast for episode 420. Cross your fingers. Let's hope it happens. Uh, I'm working on it. I am working on it. I will tell you that. I uh, want to mention, of course, Stride Pro Wrestling as well. Uh, over the weekend, Saturday night was Fright Night, and uh, we saw the crowning of a new Stride Pro Wrestling heavyweight champion, Peyton Ayers, uh, along with his manager, Sam Hunter, winning the gold. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what went down. I'm hoping that you'll watch everything on YouTube if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, actually, in full disclosure, the YouTube video will probably be up uh, by the middle of the week uh, as as we're recording this. But uh yeah, we're we're working on getting everything edited and, and ready to go for you as well. So check out the Stride Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. This, of course, is all leading us to the big show on October 22nd. And when I say the big show, I don't mean Paul White. I mean uh, a big event happening for Stride Pro Wrestling. It is called Fall for All, and this is happening in Pinckneyville, Illinois. Again, check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page have all the information, tickets, and how you can get them and all that good stuff located right there uh, on our Facebook page. I want to remind you, ProWrestlingTees.com slash My123Cents is your place to go for My123Cents and Stride Pro Wrestling swag. Also have uh, the Thighhuggers store up and running. It is Thighhuggers.com. Use promo code My123Cents at checkout and you'll save a little money and uh, be helping out the brand as well. And pro, or, uh, I'm sorry, collar and elbow brand, uh, same promo code, my123cents. When you check out, you save 10% on your order. And again, you're helping the my123cents and Stride Pro Wrestling brands continue to grow and thrive. And 
I've been asked about the toy drive, the My One Two Three Cent Stride Pro Wrestling action figure drive. It is going to be coming back. Uh, working out a few of the details for that. I already have some stuff purchased and some stuff that has been donated. Um, and so uh, if you want to participate in this year's event, you don't live in Southern Illinois, you're not going to make it to a stride show, reach out to me, let me know, uh, and we can make that happen. Of course, this is uh, inspiration from uh, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. This is going to be, I think, I, I should have looked before I started recording, I think this is going to be year five for the action figure drive with my one, two, three cents and stride pro wrestling. So I look forward to this every year. Um, and it's just a fun thing to do. And, uh, so it, again, if you're able, and I know, you know, things are, are tight and tough for a lot of folks, uh, uh these days. So if you are able to uh, donate a toy or two, or even donate a little cash to go out and buy some wrestling action figures, uh, that would be awesome. Ollie's by the way, if you have an Ollie's warehouse, in your community, which there's one in West Frankfort, Illinois, which is about 20 minutes from where I live. They have basics for, I think, $7. So um, I did pick up a few of those when I was there the last time. So uh, again, if you're able to help the cause, it every little bit helps and every little bit is much, much appreciated. So again, check out Stride Pro Wrestling and my one, two, three cents on whatever social media. And uh, thanks for listening. And let's stick around now for the podcast with Greg Mahochko and Chad Smart. If you've dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, it's time to make that dream a reality. The Stride Pro Wrestling Training Academy is now enrolling new students. Classes meet on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. for just $60 per month. Be sure to check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page at facebook.com slash stridepro-wrestling and get enrolled now. Hey everyone, as promised, joining me tonight or today as you're listening to this podcast from the Power Half Hour, Greg and Chad's Power Half Hour to be exact, it is Greg Mahachko, the founder of the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network, and Chad Smart, the founder of the Positive Cynicism Podcasting Network, which I don't know, does that still exist, Chad? Uh, no, due to COVID, we got shut down because we didn't get our PPP loans, so we took uh, our PPP and left understandable okay okay greg welcome to the show it's been a while kevin how does it feel to be surrounded by podcast royalty hey do you I need blue see, chew i don't see conrad <laughs> anywhere I'm, um, no it's good to have you guys on um as i had mentioned in the intro for the show it is the 25 year anniversary of bad blood uh, in your house, bad blood to be exact. That means it is uh, several other anniversaries as well. And the three of us being in or from or around the St. Louis area, we were actually all three there that night at the Keel Auditorium, October 5th, 1997. Wait, wait, Kevin. We're not talking about the Taylor Swift song, Bad Blood. Listen, these little cute, smart ass jokes might work on your little. Uh, horse and pony show with Mahachko, but that shit ain't gonna fly here, brother. I'm trying to get RVD on this podcast. God damn it! Uh, it's gonna be a long <laughs> language. <laughs> yes. So anyway, we're not talking about Taylor Swift or 
wasn't there there was another bad blood too was there not they've, they've held a couple without the in your house yeah moniker yes uh so, 2003 and 2004 in june uh they they brought bad blood uh bad 1d at the end blood back for a, a short stint yes we had two d's on uh on bad blood so let's set the table if you will greg you are about a decade or so a little more younger than us yes i'm the oldest we'll get those jokes out of the way first uh so what were you probably what a, a teenager at this point 14 15 I, I was 15 uh okay. and bad blood was my first wrestling show uh in my life mm. um i went with uh uh, it, it ended up being a group of like seven or eight of us, uh, just all piled into one vehicle, like one, one van and going over there. Um, and it was, uh, my buddy and, and his dad was taking pretty much just a, a group of kids and we were opposite the entrance, um, and way up in the nosebleeds. Okay. Chad, what's your, your story? Uh, my story is it was my third wrestling show. Making that up, I have no idea what number it was, but yeah, I went with my cousin, and it was supposed to be my girlfriend, but she decided like two weeks earlier that um, our relationship wasn't working, and so she left. And then I had to go to therapy, and I still had an extra ticket, so I invited my good friend Jeremy, who you know, because the three of yeah. us went to WrestleMania 22 together, and. We were sitting opposite the entranceway on the, if you're facing the entrance on the right-hand side, down in the lower bowl area. So decent, decent seats, uh, decent, but uh, yeah, that was why I was there. Okay. And I was there with a friend of mine from high school. Actually, I've known him since second grade. His sister worked at one of the local radio stations at the time and actually got us uh tickets to sit in the um oh god the word Sweet. just escaped me Sweet, thank you um but i had actually won and hide money yeah i had actually won a ticket prior to that uh by arm wrestling the honky tonk man he was on a promotional tour i was working at a tv station in st louis at the time and got to go out meet that that was my first meeting of a pro wrestler the honky tonk man we arm wrestled he was letting everybody win. Obviously, they were giving away cheap the nosebleed tickets, uh, but ended up getting better tickets with the suite. Um, but uh, this was, you know, my first WWF pay-per-view, but not, you know, I'd been to a handful of shows at the Keel Auditorium. So um, initial impressions, Greg, this being your first show uh, at a at the Keel. I know you're from close to St. Louis, but... Uh, had you been to the keel for anything else in the past? I uh, I had been to the old the old barn uh, mm -hmm. before for some uh, slew uh, St. Louis University uh, men's basketball for some indoor soccer. This was my first time ever at the keel center. Um, I remember. Let me ask you guys this: What's one of the more noticeable differences of you know like watching wrestling on on TV? Uh, 25 years ago versus now like what is something that stands out to you about the crowd they still haven't bathed fair and the number of signs that are in the crowd now 
I, 15-year-old Greg, made a sign for this show. And I will say, put it right out on front street, I have not an artistic bone in my body, but it was, you know, the, uh, it was a tombstone. And it was Shawn Michaels uh, and, and the event, and, you know, here lies HBK. And it was what was supposed to be Undertaker's boot on top of the grave. Um, one, my, my buddy pointed out, I was like, you know where we're sitting, right? Nobody's going to be able to see that. And with that and the fact that I knew it wasn't very good, I kept it in the van and didn't take it Aww. into the venue. Did you take a picture of it at least? This was 1997. We didn't all have cameras in our pockets there, sir. Well, but they had cameras still. Did you not take a camera to the event? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Chad, but you, no, know, my, you and I went to, Yeah, go ahead. No, I, it will come back to me. Well, I was going to say, Chad and I went to WrestleMania those first couple of years when you know, this was pre-iPhone days. We had our little digital cameras out and taking pictures that were grainy and blurry and everything oh, yeah. else. No, I'm sure I have. I actually, I can go in my closet right now and pull out my digital photo, the disposable, not digital, but the disposable photo. So that I, I took the disposable camera in. I'm going to say disposable as many times as possible in this segment. But the disposable <laughs> cameras that I took with me and would take photos with those. And then, you know, you take them to Walmart, you get them developed. You find out they're terrible because you had no idea and you just wasted five bucks on two photos. So, well, let's let's and I don't mean to turn the tide here, but this is uh, obviously one of the big things that came out of of that weekend uh, 25 years ago. And that, of course, is the passing of of Brian Pillman. Um, I don't know about you guys. This is obviously, you know, the Internet is in its infancy. We already established that we didn't have iPhones at this point. Social media wasn't a thing. Um, I remember being there and again. We didn't have audio, so we weren't hearing what the commentary team was saying. We didn't know what was going on, but you know, we knew that we were, we were supposed to get a Dude Love versus Brian Pillman uh, match that night, and it didn't happen. And, and nobody really explained uh, to the crowd, to the live crowd, at least I don't recall any explanation. And it wasn't until the next morning when I went to work, um, and I worked again at a TV station, and I used to, as we had some downtime, I'd always call uh the Post-Dispatch had a wrestling hotline, if you will, and you would listen to the the, the headlines of, of wrestling news. And the first thing, obviously, was was the death of Brian Pillman. And I was stunned and had no idea. Do you guys recall there being any announcement? When did you find out that that Brian had passed? No, I'm like you. I, I, was, I mean, the Gold Dust-Brian Pillman match is probably the second most anticipated match of the show. And so we you didn't love. get that. The dude love, yeah. Uh, Goldust was in the corner. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and I remember getting home the next day, and then I think I'm trying to remember probably going to work, and then coming home from work and logging into the internet, which was like you said in its infancy, and going yeah. on to Scoops. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember the Scoops. Yep. Web Al Isaacs, and yeah, that was like the top headline was Brian Pillman passed away, and. Yeah, we didn't know. And I, you know, I don't know if they didn't tell the audience in the arena because they didn't want it to cast, you know, you know, bring the crowd down. But, uh, you know, we, the fact that we got a uh, DOA versus Los Periquas and then a <laughs> Mexican minis tag match in its place. I'm like, no, that's not. I mean, that's like the show, Kevin, that you and I went to um, separately again in St. Louis a couple of years before where the main event was supposed to be. 
Diesel versus Sid in a steel cage, and Sid was injured, and so they brought yeah. out Ozuna instead. Uh, yeah. those, those replacements aren't really, you know, on the same level. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in in doing a little research uh, ahead of our recording. Uh, I found that apparently there was an announcement to the fans in the arena uh, during what would, I, I guess, now be called the kickoff portion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the half hour or an hour before the actual venue or, or the actual event started. I having gone to the event much of the, I, I was, I was more casual in my fandom. You know, I, I didn't know anything about any of the, uh, dirt sheets or I mean, trade magazines. I don't know what the, uh, my one, two, three cents approved terminology is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I didn't know any behind the scenes stuff. I mean, it, even at that age, it was st- uh, all like still real to me, you know, type of thing, uh, to an extent. But I r- remember watching raw the next night. Uh, and, and that's when I found out about Pillman, uh, because of course, at that point, it was common knowledge. But they did what what wrestling does in an event like that, and they had the ten uh, ten rings of of the bell um, mm-hmm. to signify his passing. So, so that's how I w- was notified about. It. I mean, e- even my buddy who who he was going because his dad was a fan. You know, like he 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 was probably more casual of a of an observer than me. So it's not like I had somebody to, you know, like go and catch up on rumors or anything like that the next day in school. It was, you know, at, at gym class and, you know, dodgeball and trying not to get killed. Uh, so it wasn't a whole lot of, you know, like follow up. But by the time we got back to town, the the event conversations were pretty much over. And what we knew was everything that we saw and, and mm-hmm. not, not any of the, you know, outside stuff. So we are a- about a month away from the Montreal screw job uh, with this event. Uh, it's Bret Hart's second to last WWE pay-per-view during that time period. He's the WWF champion, but he's in a tag team match with the British Bulldog taking on the Patriot invader in a flag match. To me, kind of lackluster. I, I, as much as Bret Hart was, was really hot and popular or, you know, popular amongst uh, the internet fans, I think, or, you know, the Canadian fans, especially that summer of 97 was probably, in my opinion, some of his best work. Um, and then we kind of fizzle out a little bit. And this is also around the time where he's told that Vince McMahon can't honor that 20 year deal. Uh, what are your guys thoughts? You know, the, the champion is in a kind of mediocre at best tag team match. He's in a really, in my opinion, piss poor feud with the Patriot. Um, you know, the Patriot was hot in, and global and, in some of the independents, but I don't think he ever really connected or resonated with WWF fans. Um, was the writing on the wall? I mean, you know, I think a lot of us were shocked a month later when, when Brett is, you know, screwed, but, uh, in hindsight now, I, I, I don't really look at it as, as being so shocking that, that, that ended up happening the way he was placed on the card. And then, you know, the subsequent uh, action or events that followed. Brett screw Brett. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Kevin, what's your favorite flag match and why does it involve Tom Zink? I didn't know Tom Zink was in a flag. I, I remember Corporal Kirshner versus Nikolai Volkov. Nikolai Volk. 
I was trying to be Conrad. Okay. I was trying to <laughs> give you something that you could relate to. Um, no, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I haven't gone back and watched the show, uh, mm-hmm. but these were the in-your-house pay-per-views. They were only two hours long as opposed to a standard three-hour pay-per-view. And you have, you know, your big money match main event. So usually the undercards don't really weren't, you know, it's, it's not like today where you try to have every match mean as much as, much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was just like, I think it was because you were having that, you had the, the Sean, um, undertaker feud going on that would then lead to survivor series you had you know you you didn't need bret hart to have a major title defense so this was something to get him on the show but not really you know no one expected bret to lose so you you don't have to waste a title match and then you know if if vader or the patriot or even davy boy if you had stuck, had stuck around after Survivor Series, if they got hot again, you know, you could easily put them into a championship um, feud. Mm-hmm. I think uh, with the benefit of hindsight and no Pillman and do love match, mm-hmm. I mean, this was a one match card. Uh, mm-hmm. This, I think, yeah. all, all the all the marketing, everything about this from. SummerSlam, uh, when uh, I guess Sean screwed Taker, um, mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. it, it, yeah. that, it, that, it was all it, it was all built around the main event, you know. Then then you throw in the um, I don't know wrinkle, but the gimmick or, or the the debut of the Hell in the Cell, and while Taker's having his um, championship aspirations at this time. He's got this. It would come to be the uh, the primary uh, storyline for him, but he had this uh, bubbling undercurrent with Paul Bear and and Kane. You know who? Again, we also saw Kane at at Bad Blood as well. Um, so match positioning. I mean, not to. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how how many of your listeners am I allowed to piss off, Kevin? You can piss them all off. Okay. Remember, we have listeners in Canada, so feel free to. <laughs> uh, remember that uh, my opinions are my own, and they do not represent Kevin Huntsberger, my <laughs> one, two, three cents, uh, or any of its subsidiaries. I think Bret Hart's overrated. I think, I think he's, and and I'm not talking about. He's he's got the personality of a wet paper towel. I. Take take all the excellence of execution. The best there is, the best there was. His in-ring work is, is by by the standards of twenty five or maybe not twenty five. Let's go twenty seven years ago. Let's go maybe ninety seven or I'm sorry ninety five, ninety four, ninety three. Probably yeah was mm-hmm. the best in-ring performer. But that's all he was. He was, uh, and this is really gonna undermine his i don't know my opinion on this show is not going to undermine his life but he's a good hand right great in the ring but until he got into the austin versus heart uh foundation canada usa thing that's all he was he he was mm-hmm. a, a good wrestler who came out and and got a baby face pop because he gave kids some some pink sunglasses 
and that's it. Like he's milk toast to me. So the fact that I, you can say business is being cyclical or, you know, after you know, the, the, the vacuum of, of no Hogan, you know, and, and maybe the business being a little bit down, I don't blame Bret Hart for like bad houses or bad buy rates or anything like that because it wasn't his fault, mm-hmm. but he, he wasn't a, he wasn't a draw. And, and I know that's going to hurt some people's feelings. You're not going, it's, it's, it's part of the reason I don't watch wrestling. Now you don't have many. I, I like the over the top characters, you know, like I, I like undertaker. Um, I like sting both surfer sting crow sting. You know, I like, I like some personality. I don't like every guy who's just going out there with a, a stage name. And, and there's no, give me a little, give me some elements of, of theatrics. You know, I, I want to be entertained. I, for some purists out there, wrestling may just be a, an athletic art form, but I think nowadays we're, and I, I'm not casting aspersions to AW, any, any particular individual, but I think it's so much you know, let's, let's have a good match, but as I'm going to come across like a Bischoff apologist here. There's no story. Oftentimes right. there's, there's, you know, you can have a hell of a match and that's what Bret Hart had. He had a lot of hell of a matches, but prior to, and again, maybe I'm showing my age or, or lack of uh, in, in some cases uh, maybe it's uh, other personality defects until we got to what he was doing as, as the baby face of Canada uh, and hated in America versus Austin, who was the baby face of America and hated in Canada. I didn't care about Bret Hart. It, and, and I think that's the worst thing not to love a wrestler, hate a wrestler. The worst thing is to just not care. Right. I agree. That's yeah, a so, long answer. I apologize. <laughs> so Greg, then you don't, you're not a fan of the wrestlers today that have their Bret Hart masturbatory uh, fan fest matches and trying to emulate Bret Hart. I, I had this conversation briefly um, with a, a group of guys because I actually just got the uh, Facebook reminder that 12 years ago, I think as of what, what day was this? It was uh, as of Saturday. Nope. It was yesterday. 12 years ago. Yesterday was a SmackDown. Uh, house show at what's you know used to be the keel center now it's it's a uh, enterprise center and i went floor seats with a bunch of my buddies and I took pictures i said hard to believe it's been 12 years i realized that i was never there for the wrestling you know hanging out with you guys on monday nights i was just there for the for the brotherhood and, and the bonding and and the bad decision decisions around white castle crave cases <laughs> for me that's what it was largely about right it, it wrestling <laughs> I hate to say it, and I hate to say it on, on my one, two, three cents. It, wrestling was never the uh, the lure for me. It was, I'm hanging out with my buddies, you know? So mm-hmm. because we've all grown up a little bit more, we all have families now, and, and because I moved, you know, outside of that kind of region, I don't get together with them, so I don't really watch wrestling. So to answer your question, Chad, no. Mm-hmm. And, and it cracks me up that um, FTR – uh, 
they used to have the no flips, just fists, and then they are in the most flippy company in the history of pro wrestling. Yeah, and they may have been the guys that I was alluding to based on a comment that uh, <laughs> can't remember if it was um, a guy named Phil said that about them or if someone else said it, but probably not because Phil was good friends with them. Um, but anyway, to hijack this conversation real quick, because I, I like I, I agree with Greg here that wrestling has to be the show because you can have great wrestling, but it's only going to appeal to a very small niche audience, which right. You know, as we can see with AEW, they have great matches, but has their audience grown over the three years that they've been there? And no. I know Kevin is very anti-AEW. I am not anti-AEW. I am, <laughs> I am realistic about it. I am not a fanboy like some people. Uh, we just need to hug it out. Um, <laughs> but no, I agree with Greg. Like, yes, you need the storyline, which I, I don't know which match you want to go to next, so I'll let you... Well, Segment that's exactly where we're, that's where we're, we're headed, you know, because it is, it has been called by some the greatest story uh, in the history of WWE. Uh, I don't put it that high on the pedestal, but I, I do think, you know, it, not only are we introduced to the very first time to the Helena Cell concept, which let me get your initial thoughts on that. What did you guys think of this? You know, were you fans of steel cages in the past? I, I always loved big blue. Um, I know WWE's cage matches, are often criticized because, uh, you know, you were escaping the cage or you could escape the cage to win, where in the NWA, Jim Crockett promotions, you fought it out and you either submitted or you got pinned inside the cage. There was no running away. I, I see both sides of the argument, but I, you know, again, primarily, uh, you know, those big blue cage matches to me were always very memorable ones. Yeah, I didn't mind the escape rule, but I hated big blue. Because to my Mark mindset, the big blue was just there so Hulk Hogan could climb it easier. It, uh, <laughs> you know, I, and I still remember when we had the satellite dish and um, we get the monthly Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden shows. And I remember uh, promo with it was going to be the Dream Team versus the British Bulldogs. And they were standing yeah. behind, a, you know, the mesh cage and they uh -huh. had a head of lettuce. And they were like scra scraping the head of lettuce across the cage and, you know, tearing it apart and like Valentine beefcake. This is what we're going to do to you. And, you know, you can't do that with big blue. I mean, yeah. big blue is just there to, you know, maybe tie someone's rib tape up so they can't get away. But yeah, no, I, I like the traditional mesh cage much better. I was pretty like the whole scope of it all. Again, having never been, haven't been at that age where, you know, it's 97. So Austin's catching a little bit of fire. Uh, NWO is, is hot. Uh, you know, all, all the, a lot of the faces that I grew up with are, are peaking, you know, uh, like sting, you know, sting in 97, he was doing his, you know, once in a while, hadn't spoken yet. Hadn't had the match at, at this point with Hogan, the Starcade. So getting in there, I, I was just astounded by how big, even from the, the nosebleed seats, how big mm -hmm. everything seemed. And even, even, you know, like Undertaker, like, yeah, I mean, he's billed as 6'11 or 6'10 or whatever it is, and he might be a couple inches shorter than that. But still, he seemed larger than life. And and not to, to rehash what I said a few moments ago, but like that's, I, I think, kind of what 
wrestling's missing now is larger than life characters, but I, I digress. And we'll, so the hell in the cell to me, you know, first of all, it's, it, it, I like the premise similar to the old NWA is man, you're trapped. You ain't getting out. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they get out, but the, go to show my 15 year old naivete when the lights go out towards the end of the match. Now you got to set the stage. I, was 15 i didn't smoke but i brought a lighter with me because that's what you did for the undertaker (laughs) at that time you know this was before we all had little flashlights on our phones yeah Uh, so me and thousands others had lighters and and so towards the end of the match when the lights go out i get my lighter i'm like and then you hear the ominous music that we would know would be canes and he comes down and again couple years after this i wrote a paper senior year of high school called pro wrestling factor fiction i got 100 percent on it it embarrasses me to look back and read it now because uh i was an uneducated mark <laughs> not a smart mark and i was like yeah and so sometimes you know they even put microphones near the the mat so you can you can really hear the the thuds and you know things like that it, it was it was bad uh but thankfully my teacher didn't know better um, but when Kane comes out and he quote unquote rips the door off the, the cell, I thought that was the most insane thing that I've ever seen, you know, with, without the benefit of hindsight, you know, that, you know, somebody, the door was gimmicked. Um, but, sure. but that was, that was unreal. Uh, so everything, everything about the event just seemed big to me. Um, and, and so the, the hell in the cell seemed over the top because it was something that never been done before, never been seen before. And nobody knew what to expect. And, and I guess maybe sadly we got, was it King of the ring 98, right? With yeah. the, yeah. I mean, Holy. six months after this, seven months after this, something like that, we get the greatest hell in the cell match of all time. And the sacrifice that McFoley had to had to put himself through to get that match. Looking back on it now, and and you know, as as I'm 40, which is still like I don't know what half your age, Kevin, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I I wish that we could have had slower escalation to violence mm-hmm. because I feel like every time that you know there's hell in the cell or something like that, it's we have to try to top you know, take her fully 98, which will never be done. Uh, at this point, you could almost retire hell in the cell and I'd be okay with it. I don't disagree with that. I think that it's become overplayed. I liked it better when it was used sporadically and, and not now as a monthly pay-per-view or a yearly pay-per-view where you get at least two uh, hell in a cell type matches. I know they announced earlier uh, that we're getting two war games matches at survivor series, you know, it is what it is, I suppose, at this point. But uh, Chad, what did you think of the debut of Kane and, and the character that he became? Because in 1990, uh, you know, you and I are both old enough to remember when Undertaker debuted. And, and I thought at the time, this is a flash in the pan. He's going to come in and, and do something. Who knew 30 years later he would still be uh, the presence that he was? And, and kind of the same with Kane. You know, even though he's not active, he's still uh, a big part of, of the WWE product and as a hall of famer as well yeah and i guess you know you can say that depending on your 
opinions. Kane is still destroying lives and taking souls as <laughs> it is in the real world. Uh, no, uh, I told you, going to be a long night, folks. Um, we, no, I, you know, it's weird to think that WWF, WWE created both Undertaker and Kane and had these great characters and that they've really only done that with a handful of characters. You know, you because like Stone Cold, Bret Hart, Triple H, they were all characters that evolved over time, whereas Taker and Kane kind of came in. And yeah, they've, they've evolved, but mm-hmm. at their core, they're the same as they were. And, right. and I think, you know, I would say 95% of the audience there expected Kane to somehow get involved in the match because the way the television had been leading up to it with Paul Bearer talking about, you know, Kane that we'd never heard of before that Undertaker had a brother, like you have to pay off with the debut of Kane. And mm-hmm. it, you know, and especially by, you know, being held in the cell, you got a cage match with a, with a closed enclosed structure so it's not like Kane could come down and climb over the cage to get in so you're like okay how how is Kane going to interfere you know I I expected someone to come up through the ring or mm. be there because we'd seen that before and how yeah. you know I mean like Greg said no one expected the door of the cage to be ripped off but so I think they handled the debut of Kane very well and you know yes they had some minor flaws in the character story you know later on with the unmasked, you know, being scarred and then being unmasked with no issues at all. Suddenly- See, now, let me, let me, let me throw this off to you. Mm-hmm. I always interpreted that as Kane was, Kane and Paul Bear were messing with The Undertaker the whole time and that Kane was never really burned, but it was all part of this story, if you will, to keep The Undertaker um, you know, make him feel guilty and, and have all that. So when Kane unveiled himself as, as not being burned or anything, that's how I always interpreted it. I never looked at it as a, a continuity flaw or anything like that. And maybe I, you know, again, have drank too much of the Kool-Aid. Yeah, and, and that could be, I mean, open to interpretation and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's mind games as well, which, you know, could be. There's another uh, pay-per-view. Yes. <laughs> Greg, you, and, you've got and, your hand up. N- yeah, Kevin, to your point, I mean, the way the you, if you, if you've been saying for weeks, months, year, you know, whatever it was that, oh, Undertaker, you know, I'm not going to do the, the Paul Bear voice, but I was actually going to uh, ask for everybody to do a Paul Bear impression. So thank you, Greg. <laughs> there, there's mine. <laughs> um, but, but if you're saying, you know, uh, that, that he's has scars, he, he's been burned. And at some point, you know, you, you take the mask off. I you you can absolutely retcon that to say we're just trying to mess with Undertaker's head, you know, and and uh, oh look at that it worked or or you know however however you you roll those particular dice, that's a scenario of win win. Either people may may or may not if you never plan on taking the mask off, you can say yes he has these these uh, scars. If you take the mask off and reveal up oh, no scars, that's just Paul Bear uh, getting inside the head of of Undertaker. So it, it's you you can you you can uh, play that dance card both ways. So you know, longevity wise, both of these characters stuck around for a very long time and evolved. Uh, they came back and had multiple matches throughout the years as well. 
where do you guys rank Kane in terms of being the Undertaker's, uh, you know, nemesis? Because I, I think he's probably on a short list of, of some of his top uh, opponents. Chad? Will you take it, Greg? Uh, yeah, I would say probably most likely Mick Foley and Kane are the top two mm-hmm. Undertaker feuds opponents. Um, and and I think, you know, the fact that Kane and Undertaker could feud and then team up and then feud later, you know, it wasn't as, it, it seemed more natural than, say, Big Show turning face and heel all the time. You know, it just, the storylines were there. Um, with the exception of the Katie Vick angle, I think most of the storylines for Kane were pretty good, you know, throughout yeah. his career. They, he really didn't have a lot of questionable one, feuds, or if he did, they're so unmemorable that I don't remember them now. It's, um, I, I remember a, a lot of the Attitude Era type of Undertaker, you know, uh, the Ministry of Darkness, then, of course, became the Corporate Ministry. I think a lot of his, and I, he's a tremendous athlete, uh, a great performer, as as his Hall of Fame record indicated. But I think oftentimes you have to, I mean, I have to. I, I similarly to to Chad, I I look at Kane, I look at Mick, I look at some of those you know, gimmick matches that only would make sense with the undertaker as an adversary, you know, it'd be the boiler room brawls or the inferno match. Um, you know, the, I, I look at some of those and how they, they fit the storyline, they fit the characters. And, uh, but it, it's, it's a situation where you just have to have kind of the, the right dancing partner and, and undertaker, you know, uh, he could, he could go with anybody, but in particular, he made, he, I don't know if he brought the best out of Mick. I, I think he did, but I think others got more out of Mick Foley. But I know he, I think he brought the best out of Kane for sure. Chad, uh, you know, obviously we're there. We see this uh, character come out. Did Kane look like what you expected him to look like? And, and you know, obviously it's Glenn Jacobs, who we knew uh, before as, um, you know, most recently fake Diesel or Diesel. Uh, whoever you listen to on the IP debate. And then, uh, of course, Dr. Isaac Yankum, and then several characters, uh, you know, in uh, Smoky Mountain and in other territories. But did you expect Kane to be what he ended up being when he came out finally? No, I was hoping it was um, a WCW transfer and it was Cheatham. Do you remember Cheatham? No, I'm, I'm afraid I'm about to step in something here with this. Continue. <laughs> you can look at He was in the mini movies for the uh, Sting and Bulldog versus Sid and Vader. Bash uh, match and okay. The Sting, Jake Roberts, spin the wheel, make the deal yeah. match, which um, no, I, you know, I, I don't know what to, ex- what I was expecting from Kane, but I probably did not expect what we got. And obviously, like you said, while ago, didn't expect, 25 years later to one Kane would still be, you know, just, just hanging, just hanging up his boots a few years prior to this conversation. And two, that we would be talking about Kane 25 years later in the way that we do. 
Yeah, I, you know, Greg mentioned uh, King of the Ring 98, which was roughly eight or nine months after this. And Kane wins the the heavyweight championship. That uh, really surprised me. And then, you know, it was obviously a one night thing, but he went on later to win the championship several more times, actually beating The Undertaker in Hell in a Cell uh, for one of those championship wins. So um, I feel like he did definitely prove himself uh, to be a, uh, you know, obviously worthy of, of being a part of the Hall of Fame, but also being one of those reliable uh, guys and, and, you know, loyal and sticking around. And I know he was new uh, during the Monday Night War, but, you know, never uh, jumped ship and, and, and stayed the course after having some really crappy gimmicks prior to that. So sometimes I think, you know, it takes a little time for the right gimmick to come along or the right uh, fit for you. Uh, but man, when, when it hits right and WWE knocked this one out of the park, but I don't know that we decided, Greg, where are you at this as being one of, or the greatest story ever told by WWE? I, it's gotta be top five. Um, the mega powers more, more precisely the mega power explosion, um, I think is, is one. And I was. I was, I was knee high, you know, uh, when that one happened, cause I'm again, so much younger than you guys. Um, but, but, you know, here, hearing the, uh, the recaps and, and, and the, the story, how it was laid out uh, again, uh, in long form, uh, you know, to, to on, on the surface, something like mega powers, you, you don't think anything of it, but there's one, one hug too long, one glance, a little crooked, you know, things like that. Um, and oddly enough, I, you almost have to put, uh, Austin McMahon and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm mixing apples and oranges. Maybe Austin McMahon perhaps might be the greatest rivalry. Whereas the, uh, the more compact story being Kane and undertaker, you know, mm-hmm. it, it it just depends on how you want to define story. Um, yeah. uh, but it, it's, and it, it was so well done. And, and again, it, it started small and, and built up to, to quite the rivalry, uh, quite the in-ring and, and the, the anticipation. Um, yeah. I'd say building on that anticipation was one of the more, um, uh, not formidable, but more successful elements of, of that story. When are we going to, are we actually going to see Kane? When are we going to see him? And in what form uh, would, would uh, uh, Dozer the destructor take type of thing? So mm-hmm. I, I would argue that by this time in 1997, even though WCW was still winning the ratings war, the NWO was becoming a bit played out. It had been uh, well over a year that that we're seeing the NWO. And I feel like, you know, with hindsight, there's a lot of fans that kind of criticize the NWO angle as far as there never being that payoff for that. Um, Chad, I think it would be uh, a fair argument to say that, you know, this pay-per-view and then obviously Survivor Series 97 really shifted the gears uh, in WWE's favor. Uh, you know, Austin is injured here from SummerSlam. We see him interfere in the finals of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament that he had to relinquish. 
uh, actually helping Owen Hart to win it, but then beating him that next month at the Survivor Series. Uh, it, it felt like everything was kind of uh, pointing in the right direction, despite Bret Hart. But I and I think you and I have had this conversation before too. Had Bret Hart not been screwed and left WWF when he did, would Austin have been propelled the way he was? Would we have gotten the Attitude Era? I think all of these things kind of all played out to, in that favor. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, it's interesting looking back on history and just saying like, if this one piece was altered, mm-hmm. you know, right. if, if the click didn't do the curtain call, Triple H wins King of the Ring 96, Austin doesn't, therefore Austin 316 is probably never uttered because, you know, it was a, a reaction to beating Jake Roberts and who was doing a religious, you know, comeback at that time. Otherwise, you know, I doubt that that Austin would be paraphrasing Bible verses in a regular promo. Right. So if Austin 316 is never born, do we really get an explosion of the money? You know, because would WWE or WWF at that time take off the way that it did? Um, so to the, your point, yeah, if, you know, I think one with Brett being screwed, it it's weird because it made, that's what made the Mr. McMahon character. Because mm-hmm. if Brett had just walked out, I think Vince would have still just been Vince McMahon. You wouldn't have the evil owner of the company. And then with Brett coming into WCW, they didn't know what to do with him because, you know, you've got Hogan, Nash, Hall, Sting, Flair, you know, all these top guys. And, and Brett just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And, you know, going back to Greg's comments earlier, Brett's a great wrestler, but yeah, if you don't have a good storyline for him, is he is he going to move the needle, as they say, um, in any manner? Yes, Greg. Brett's not going to out-personality any of those names that you just mentioned. You know, he's yeah. not going to uh, make himself noticed above uh, a, a Sting. At the, even though Sting wasn't talking, Sting had this presence about him this mysterious ominous you know uh i I don't have to tell you about what sting was doing you know crow sting in 1997 but even even while he was still on his way up and he wasn't a champion at the time like ddp's got more charisma in his pinky finger than bret hart's got in you know his whole body and you know half of canada sorry canada fans if you're listening (laughs) um like that's just the, the kind of uh of grassroots hero that ddp is you know for for lack of a better term but and i i've posed a lot of these questions to ask my one two three cents uh in the past is do we ever see in in austin explosion or an nwo if scott hall signs re-signs stays with wwf um you know and, and there are a lot of these what ifs you know uh Hey, listen, folks, it's not just a hit show on Disney Plus in a, in a, a decades a long. Yeah, right. Another sponsor of, of my one, two, three cents, the podcast. And the German uh, podcast speak network. for yourself and your little <laughs> horse and pony show. Disney Plus sends me a check every month. Oh, wait, I send them a check every month. Never mind. Exactly. <laughs> you still write checks and you are old. <laughs> I Sucker paying for postage. Um, but but there's you know, there are a lot of those moments you know with the benefit of hindsight that like if this didn't happen or if if this 
went a different way if if this character uh, or or not character performer uh, wrestler opted to do this and you know one instead of the other do we get you know the the outcome that that we know and and either you know love in most cases or or not in in a few cases so it's there we also got to remember that bad blood in your house is also the last time that vince mcmahon's a principal um uh, announcer or a um commentator part of that part of that announce crew uh after after this you know obviously he he was definitely involved at SummerSlam, but that was going a, a, a whole different direction. So there's survivor series. What'd I say? SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. I thank you for, for correcting me. Uh, as I know you always do. No, um, you didn't say Summerfest. <laughs> but in, in a lot of ways, bad blood uh, is, is uh, something of a linchpin for a lot of moving parts in the WWF. Um, you know, they, the DX is still trying to find themselves. Uh, obviously Kane's debut, the, the, uh, you know, the, the tragedy of Brian Pillman, um, the, the McMahon, Bret Hart saga, if you will, uh, a lot. And, and, and it all kind of transpired in, you know, I'd, I'd say two hours in St. Louis, but, you know, when, when we include the, the time in, in Minnesota with the, uh, the, the passing of Brian Pillman, let's say 12 or, or 24 hours uh, time that are really crucial to the history, not just of the WWF, uh, but in pro wrestling as we know it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and you brought up an interesting point too. And I just went back and looked and I don't see it, but you talk about the formation of Degeneration X, and I think Rick Root is with the company at this point. China and, and Triple H are obviously there, but I don't see their name on any of the match results. So Triple H did not wrestle that night. I don't remember if he and China were in Sean's corner. They um, they were. They were okay. They were okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got a post script story when we get after the show, so I'll save that for then. That involves China and Triple H. Wait, is this a is this an off the record story, Chad? Uh, no, it can be on the record. It's just after the show was off the air type. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, as we kind of wrap things up, you know, other notable news, I guess. I-, I was actually at the concession stand, and this is why I remember it, because I remember them making the announcement. The Godwins beat uh, the Headbangers for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Um I feel like, you know, I, I've always been a fan of tag team wrestling, but I think, you know, without a doubt, it'd be hard to argue other than today's AEW environment. Uh, the 80s, such a hot time for tag teams in both the NWA, JCP and the WWF. By 97, I feel like. And a few years even after that, WWF had all but given up on on the tag team scene, I think. So what are your guys' impressions of of tag team wrestling in this era? Well, you just kind of said you had hillbillies beating mosh rockers, alternate (laughs) kids. You know, it's, I don't know, Greg, I'll let you speak because this goes into your character thing. Are these characters that are, are good or by this point in time, are these characters that are past their uh, sell by date? So let it be said again, I was 15 at the time. 
I was a huge Headbangers fan. Oh, okay. Um, now I'm I'm glad you had the uh, uh, the action figure of Hillbilly Jim. Yeah. The Godwins were they heels or baby faces? Because I feel like at times they were. I have uh, you know I used to rent Coliseum videos uh, back in the day, and it would be like the Godwins versus um, the the Smoking Guns with Sonny, right? And I think in in later years i was told that like smoking guns with sunny were supposed to be heels but boy howdy i was always rooting for mm. them if she was on tv mm-hmm. so i you didn't like cloudy <laughs> the the for this particular match, Greg, the godwins were heels they were with uncle cletus at the time but they were they had been at one point been baby faces, faces right they now. were okay. yeah they were managed by hillbilly jim and I don't remember if they turned on Hillbilly Jim or if they just, you know, eventually switched over. But Tony Anthony, Involved. who was uh, known as uh, PL Hopper, PL Hopper, dirty white was, boy. Yeah, he was the he was Uncle Cletus, who was managing the Hillbill or uh, uh, the Godwins, Godwins at that time. So, I appreciate y'all uh, uh, clearing that up for me. That you made it uh, <laughs> made it as clear as a uh, as mud. As slop as and, uh, uh, I was going to say as, as, as pig slop. Yep. <laughs> now, let me ask you, how long did it take you guys to realize that Henry O. Godwin and Phineas I. Godwin spelled out pig and hog? Well, I'm pretty smart, so it didn't take very long at all. <laughs> but I will tell you this. This, this is embarrassing. Uh, going back to Disney, it wasn't until the other day for my job that I had to write out the word Cruella de Vil. I always thought it was spelled d-e-v-i-l-l-e it's spelled d-e-v-i-l devil i i never realized it so uh so yeah that's my i'm today years old moment uh for me it was probably about uh 10 or so years ago but i i they were just the godwins i don't even know if i knew their middle initials or first names so yeah, I mean, this is obviously, you know, 97, I think, as we mentioned earlier, a transitional year for the company for maybe for wrestling in general. I think, you know, again, all those pieces kind of fall into place in 96 that lead to the events of 97. And then I think 97 bleeds into 98. And, you know, Mike Tyson and Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels is on the shelf for four years. And we really see things kind of explode for for lack of a of a better word so i i think that you know we talk about the longevity of kane and the undertaker the hell in a cell concept um you know these are all great uh points or parts of of our wrestling fandom um do you ever see a point where hell in a cell goes away uh, you know, obviously we still get cage matches. We still get money in the bank ladder matches. We get regular ladder matches, but will hell in a cell, especially now that they're bringing in the, uh, the uh, war games match, will hell in a cell go away and elimination chamber still kind of around as well. So what do you guys think of that? Mm, I, I agree with what you said earlier. I would like to see it go away as a, a specific show theme. Mm-hmm. And reserve it for what it was originally created for. When a feud requires a 
cage that you can't escape, even though 99% of the time you do put that feud in there, but just randomly going, Oh, we've got hell in the cell next month. Um, these two wrestlers are feuding, throw them in the cage. Like that doesn't, yeah. you know, so that can go away, but, but no, I don't think hell in the cell itself will ever, I don't think any of the gimmick matches will ever fully go away. I, I want to, this is not an original thought. Uh, hard for a lot of people to believe, um, but I'm sure I caught it on another podcast or, or it's, it's in the general awareness enough. Like absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? So if, if you put hell in the cell or, or, or maybe not money in the bank because money in the bank uh, has a different purpose, but if you put hell in the cell on the shelf for a few years and maybe 2026, 2027, there's, You've got a feud. Now it could be on, on the men's side. It could be on the women's. Side. I don't care, but you have a feud that's white hot that people are really engaged in. And, and you've had, you know, enough of that 50, 50 booking that you need a definitive uh, statement match. Then you, you bring it out, you dust it off, you hang it over the ring. And, but with the benefit of it, being it's like a the hell in the cells now it's like a wrestler you know when when you see it too much it's overexposed and it doesn't mean anything um uh, so you put it away for a little while you, you bring it out again in a, in a few years and then you you have it mean something well said as we wrap up this episode uh chad i'll start with you uh I'm, I'm going to assume that you are glad that you attended this show, but final thoughts or, you know, I know you probably haven't watched it in, in a while, but, uh, you know, what are your impressions? I know this wasn't your first uh, WWF show, but it was your first pay-per-view. Obviously, you stayed a fan. So what are your overall yeah. thoughts on that? And Greg, uh, you'd be thinking too. It was my first WWF pay-per-view. Um, my first right. pay-per-view was Starcade 96. Yes, prior, that's which, right. You know, I got to see Roddy Piper and Hogan 12 years after. They age in a cage I, as they build it. Uh, that was in Vegas. 12 years after they having. met something. Oh. Yeah. Um, no, I got the fake title match, Hogan-Piper match, where Piper won. And then they're like, yeah, it's not a title. And anyway, um, no, this was, it was a good show. But as Greg mentioned earlier, it is a one-match show. You know, if you go back and watch it on Peacock right. now you can skip to the main event and that's really the only thing you need to watch. Um, so after the show was over, one of the things that we would always do, my cousins and friends, when we would go to a show is go to the back of the arena to try and, you know, get autographs or see people coming out. And we're standing at the back of the, of the kill center by the, they have a rampway that goes down to the main garage parking under, under the building. And, um, in a, a move that would get us canceled today, we have a, speaking of signs, Greg, we had taken some signs and one of them said, China is my father. And so, <laughs> oh, Chad, we're, we're, you know, we're oh. holding that as cars are coming out, we're holding that up. And, uh, one crew guy walks by and says like, oh yeah, I saw your dad inside. I'll let him know you're out here. Um, <laughs> But, you know, during the match, Shawn Michaels had gotten busted open. They, as we're standing out there, all of a sudden an ambulance 
comes up out of the back and we kind of like start following it on foot and right across the street, we see Triple H is in a car waiting. And as soon as the ambulance takes off, Triple H follows after the ambulance. So Sean was in the back. Mm. He got transported to a local medical facility. And I believe China was in the back of the ambulance with him. But yeah, so that was our, we, we chased Triple H for like half a block and, and did not catch up to him. Yeah. I can't remember what other signs we had. I just know that one was the. That the one. Stuff. I did. I feel bad. I didn't bring a sign. Greg, uh, your first WWF event, first wrestling event, live wrestling event. You've obviously been to others. So uh, overall final thoughts and impressions of bad blood 97. Yeah. So nothing's ever going to take away 15 year old Greg's joy uh, and excitement of being at his first, uh, you know, not, not only his first, like just, I, I say this, no offense intended, uh, Kevin, but it's not, it, it wasn't a, like an independent show or anything. Like, I mean, this was, this was broadcast nationwide, if not beyond, you know, this was, this was a, yeah. a, a big production pay-per-view and to have that as kind of being like my, um, my first experience, it, I, I still look back on it, you know, oh, we already said at the beginning of the show, 25 years, uh, very fondly, <laughs> 20, 25 years later. Um, and and in that regard, you know, like I know my buddy was there and his dad and his little brother. I don't know all the other faces of all the other, uh, you know, teenagers that, that went to this show. Uh, so it's not like wrestling uh events or, or wrestling show, tv that I, you know pay-per-views that i would watch you know with, with buddies years later this one for me was just about the experience i was yeah you know this going into like wrestlemania uh 1998 or wrestlemania 14 i suppose uh were for me it, it was like um first wave peak fandom right uh and then i i'd have a lull for a few years uh, uh later in high school or, or so it's not even high school um college and then early on in my time out in nebraska and then was coming back uh to southern illinois and reuniting with a bunch of guys who were all you know that's when i started watching raw every week uh and and started going to the Royal Rumble in St. Louis, Elimination Chamber in St. Louis, uh, the the SmackDown, you know, uh, live show that I, I mentioned earlier uh, with, with those guys. Uh, so first wave peak fandom for me, this was th this was on my uptick, but I've got so many just just being there, you know, be, being in the arena for for the first the first Hell in the Cell Kane's debut uh, and then the last, you know, last time Vince McMahon is on uh it, uh, the lead announcer, even though obviously in the arena, we couldn't hear him. Um, it, it's a very special event for me and it would, it, it would help sustain my, my fandom. Um, even after my buddy and his, you know, his dad was in the air force. So they, they moved away, uh, less than a year later. Um, but, but it sustained me and, and got me through, you know, like it, I was the wrestling fan in the house. I was the one going downstairs. I'd, uh, watch raw. I, I, tape the the nitro replay you know like that but i was i was one man you know group at that point it was just me so so just being there in st louis that night um it was pretty special and and to touch on something we we briefly talked about how del wilkes patriot hell of a look 
too bad he didn't work out. But but I was a fan. USA, USA, USA. Ask Greg what time it is, and you'll learn how to build a freaking watch. Thanks, Greg, for your long-ass answer. <laughs> I'm kidding. Somebody's got to carry this show. You're not I'm... talking anything, Harley, Kevin. Jeez. Well, I Kevin, like what... I Let me ask much. you a question, Kevin. Let me ask you. You ask me a question. What are your thoughts going back to October 5th, 1997? What are your thoughts on bad blood in your house? What's your takeaway? Well, Greg, I'm glad you asked me that. Uh, it all started when I was born in St. Louis, just down the street from the Kiel Center. <laughs> no, uh, but on a, on a, on a semi-serious note, this, I always hold the fall of 1997 uh, in very high regard because this is like, I had actually, the week before Bad Blood applied for what ended up being my first job on air on uh, in TV. Um, and I got the call. I, it was either that next day or that Tuesday after Bad Blood that they wanted to bring me in for an interview. So I always hold that time as kind of a, uh, you know, I got to see this great wrestling show. And this was kind of my last big hurrah in, in St. Louis because I, by the end of the month, I was moving to Alabama. So um, I, I always fondly remember that time period for that part of it. But also, you know, the nostalgia of the wrestling and, and getting to see uh, like you said, the firsts of, of Hell in a Cell and the debut of Kane and, and then Vince McMahon's final, uh, you know, regular broadcast. But I don't think at the time we realized that. And I, you know, but I look back on it all very fondly and I'm glad that we're able to sit back 25 years later and reminisce and, and have a little fun with it as well. How is that for an answer? I like it's not as good as mine, but it's good. No, I'm just, I mean, I'm a bit disappointed because you mentioned Bad Blood was your last hurrah. I mean, you've gone back since after moving mm -hmm. back to the area, but that was your last hurrah. And, you know, it just got me thinking about my last hurrah that we went to Raw before I moved to LA and oh, yeah. we got to see Rosie O'Donnell versus Donald Trump. Ooh. Yes. There was a cake involved in that too, was there not? Fudgy the whale. Yes. I was going to say, what well, I couldn't remember the whale's name, but yeah. I don't know if, if it's equal or worse, but I was at a raw, I believe this was in the buildup to, I'm going to get the year wrong, so I, uh, forgive me, but it was Cena versus Rock at WrestleMania, uh, the first go around. And uh, the celebrity, the guest celebrity at, at WrestleMania that year was going to be Snooki. And oh, yeah. Snooki was in St. Louis at Raw, and the booze—you would have thought that it was uh, Vicky Guerrero out there. <laughs> yeah, well, you should have heard the guy behind us at WrestleMania that year. He was not happy. He was not a Snooki fan. Just for that, ah. yeah, he was not. He was not. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of the My One Two Three Cents experience again. Uh, quick, because we're running low on time again. But uh, Greg. Uh, anything coming up exciting for you guys over at uh, uh, nerd United or Greg and Chad's power half hour. Yeah. So coming up on nerds United, uh, more podcasts, we record them every week uh, almost as diligently as uh, Kevin Huntsberger and my one, two, three cents, the podcast. Uh, we are closing in on episode 300 and nice. we will get to that uh, uh, in October. 
I don't know. I don't awesome. have the all the, the exact uh, weeks <laughs> uh, uh, worked out. We just finished our '80s movie madness tournament. Uh, the Goonies uh, won uh, as uh, preferred movie '80s movie of, of that decade. So, congratulations to Steven Spielberg if he's listening. Uh, at uh, Greg and Chad's Power Half Hour, we may or may not record when we're done here tonight, Kevin. Oh, very cool. It, it's been a few weeks. Chad, what's up with you? Anything exciting and new? Uh, well, uh, you know, as I let you guys know before we started recording, I am back in the workforce, so that's great on my, you know, it's been four months of out of work, so now I have to remember how to get up before 10 a.m., and that's <laughs> uh, going to be kind of rough, but no, um, on the podcasting front, hopefully my other show that I co-host, the Out of Touchstone podcast, will be coming back probably late October, I would say, because we want to get a couple episodes recorded before we start re-releasing them um but we're still in the middle of 1994 and you know the next episode will feature the movie renaissance man with danny devito and a young marky mark so good movie that. and uh yeah other than that I, I i don't know we'll see oh i was gonna say uh you know we do have tickets for wrestlemania 39 so we got to start the cosplay brainstorming figure out what to do so if you're any listener has any suggestions for what what uh kevin and i should you know show up to the sofi center as i want to i want to do kamala and jyd but some reason people say no um could you do would it be insensitive or or just wrong to do you know to protect against the backlash of of uh uh uh, being in blackface, could you just go as white Kamala and white JYD? I think it'd be black body, but um, Piper got in trouble for that too. So, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we did. I mean, I, I kind of, I just want to see Kevin show up without a shirt with a uh, <laughs> That's moon happy. and stars painted on his stomach. That's what I'm saying, right? You can I totally got get a away Kamala with it. shirt that I'm more than happy to wear, but no, I'm not. I'm not going shirtless. So I I shaved my head to go to that Royal Rumble I talked about because me and my group of friends we were all gonna take a page out of the Kevin and Chad live uh, pay per view playbook and and go as, and as wrestlers. Well, that too. Um, but I shaved my head in my pursuit. You know, I still had the goatee uh, in my pursuit of going as Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, one of my buddies wore an Edge T-shirt because he's a big uh, rated R superstar fan, and the other one was going to CM Punk and didn't even like wrap athletic tape around his wrist. Waited till we got there, went to the merch stand and bought the little cloth, you know, fingerless sleeve glove things with i shaved my head guys Mm. i was trying to be cool like kevin and chad i shaved my head and somebody some kids like dad i think that's stone cold (laughs) no no, it's not was he from the blind academy He, he wasn't right. cut. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> On that note, we are going to wrap this one up, friends. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will talk again soon. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. <laughs> <laughs>